Continuing in our series, searching. Uh, well, we need to. Yeah, no, never. I need to hold up my Bible. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here we go. <laughs> I'm a child of God. Having my hand, the powerful Word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing in our series, searching for Christmas. Uh, we've talked about how the leaders miss Christmas, how the king missed Christmas, and today I want to talk to you about how Bethlehem missed Christmas. We're going to be looking in two sections of Scripture, one in, Ma- in Luke chapter 2 and one in Matthew chapter 1. So if you want to kind of get a finger in your Bible at those spots, I'll tell you when we're ready to look at those. Anne was a working mother in her 30s. And one of the millions of women who saw the Marshmallow Castle on the December cover of a popular women's magazine. Anne confessed later that she felt like a bad mother unless she made something from the magazines every Christmas. But the Marshmallow Castle was the Waterloo of her annual battle to be Supermom at Christmas. The directions for the castle assured her that it was a traditional project that would add so much to a festive season. It would provide the focal point of their holiday decorating. More than likely, the article also said, the castle would be fun for the entire family to construct. Anne, however, tackled it by herself. The ingredients were advertised as inexpensive, but she spent more than she anticipated was off to a bad start even as she left the grocery store. The editors also claimed that the project was simple enough for a child to make, but Anne spent ten frustrating hours putting it together. The hardest part for her was the turrets that surrounded the castle. The directions told her to paste peppermint candies to four vertical cardboard tubes with marshmallow cream. And when Anne went to bed, the peppermints were holding fast to the towers, but when she woke up the next morning, they had oozed away from their safety positions. The castle was sagging, the towers looked exactly like naked toilet paper rolls, and the peppermint slugs were disgusting. Anne's children wanted only to eat the marshmallows. Anne's husband looked at the whole glob of goo and declared it's the ugliest thing he'd ever seen. He didn't even want it in their house, he said. The next Christmas, Anne was much more selective with her Christmas energy. She said, this year I'm going to spend that time with my children. That's what they really want from me anyway. Missing Christmas because of a marshmallow castle. It happens. It's possible to miss Christmas even as it happens all around us. The stress of finding the right gift, wrapping that gift, especially uh, for the paying for those gifts. It can cover Christmas so well that we might miss it. It happened to a lot of people that very first Christmas, and nowhere was it more obvious than in the little town of Bethlehem, sleeping right through the most important birth that's ever happened. Yet, Christmas came to Bethlehem, but almost everyone there missed it. But Bethlehem had a good excuse. The people there were overwhelmed with life itself. 
An unexpected census meant that this tiny village was suddenly packed to the gills, un- unprepared for the extra guest, the demands for food and water and lodging. Uh, it must have stretched the town people to the max. And stretching probably went on for quite some time. And to make matters worse, many of those citizens were surely required to be somewhere else. And at first the businesses uh, thought, man, we're, we're in a golden opportunity to make some money. But it was very exhausting work. And on top of the horrible schedule that surrounded the actual birth of Christ, by the end of the Christmas story, exhausted Bethlehem became overwhelmed with grief. Because of the more familiar Christmas stories in Luke's, in Luke's record. But Matthew records the darker side of Bethlehem's Christmas We pick it up in chapter 1 of Matthew at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. And in accordance with the the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We hold special places in our hearts for little villages like Bethlehem. And for the hundreds and thousands of children who were killed because of that king's order. It was a horrible tragedy. Very terrible. It was an ancient version of Russia's nightmare in Beslan. Where terrorists associated with Al-Qaeda seized a school building in 2004. And killed 338 people including 172 children. We cannot comprehend that kind of terror, and yet it happened in Beslan, and it happened in ancient Bethlehem. The residents of Bethlehem had the very best excuse to explain why Christmas came to them, but then slipped away in the night before anyone seemed to understand what the shepherd's story was and the truth of that story. They had been overwhelmed with life, and the truth is, a lot of things can keep you from Christmas, a lot of Really normal life things. And just as it did in Bethlehem, grief can steal the joy of Christmas faster than any other enemy. Dying is hard work, a friend with incurable cancer told his pastor. Even as he prepared to die, he said he had not had time to consider the issue of faith. In part, because his time was completely consumed with medicine schedules, constant care, appointments with doctors and other medical personnel, surgeries, recoveries, and his most unwelcome house guest, exhaustion. Thankfully, he finally made the time to consider the Bible story, and in the process of dying, found life in Christ. The sound of Bethlehem. It certainly was no Christmas carol. Bethlehem's cry is a cry of grief, of pain, of sheer exhaustion of it all. And in the midst of the pain, they missed a song. 
They missed the song, and yet there was a song, of course. Over the skies of Bethlehem, it was a song like no one had ever heard. And had the residents of the village been awake, they could have been as amazed as the shepherds. And I need to change microphones, so hang on. Now let's look at the Luke 2 passage because in this section we see really the victory of Bethlehem. We pick it up at verse 8 in Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The angel's message, the angel's song, they proclaimed the goodness of God as if uh, there had never been an inconvenience in Bethlehem. Or that there would ever be a tragedy there. They sang of God's glory. And a birth that would bring peace on earth over the very city where peace would soon seem like an impossible dream. In time, those who believed Jesus to be the Messiah would all understand that the announcement of heaven overwhelmed all other circumstances in Bethlehem, even grief. The man with the terminal illness that I mentioned earlier suffered great pain for the short, uh, short season, but soon was overwhelmed with the confidence that comes in accepting Christ and accepting God's Christmas gift of grace. I know Kim is excited about his dad's faith, saddened by the illness that is devastating him and his body, but excited about the spirit that will live on forever. Because that's, in essence, folks, that's what it's all about, is it not? When it's all said and done. I can only imagine what it was like when this guy that I mentioned entered heaven. But I'm sure at that moment his cry of pain gave way to the angel's song of praise for the God who had saved him. So I would have us consider three things from the song of the angels in Luke 2. I hope you'll take away with you from the message and that you will apply in your life as you near Christmas. Number one, God is always at work. Worship Him. Worship Him. The angel's song was worship at its finest. It considered nothing of the circumstances of earth and only considered the majesty of God. They sang as if the glory of God was making a difference in the lives of those who lived on earth. The angel sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to all men on whom His favor rests. That's the best day the world has ever known. was the day Jesus was born. Because in that birth, we found hope and forgiveness and salvation. More than likely, Mary and Joseph missed the full impact of the angel's message. I mean, Joseph was pretty stressed out. His wife was ready to deliver a baby, and the only place he could find was a barn out back. He was pretty stressed up. Mary was probably stressed. 
sometimes giving birth can be very stressful. I always tell our young dads when I go to the hospital, I get them aside from their wives for a brief moment because they really want to be in there with her, helping her breathe and all of that. And I put my arm around them and I take them out in the hall and I remind them that this is called labor for a reason. I said, she's going to say things to you. She's going to call you things. But she doesn't mean them. She really loves you. Though right now you're the worst thing that she could ever see. And they always look at me like, what? And then afterwards they always say, man, you were dead on. I said, I know. I went through it three times myself. I never will forget one of them. She looked at me and said, get this out of here. Stress. Lots of stress. I said, okay. And the baby was born. 30 seconds. 30 seconds at the max. That look. Men, you know what look I'm talking about. Can I have another one? That's exactly what she said. I wanted to club her like a seal. You know what I'm saying? I know she's not here. You'll tell her all this stuff. Make sure you tell it accurately, though, when you tell her. But can you imagine the stress this young couple was under? Circumstances extremely difficult. Daily pressures that they were challenged with. I mean, he had to move her from one area to another while she's pregnant. Man, that's tough. That's tough. What about your circumstances? Maybe they're financial. Maybe they're family-related. Maybe they're relationship-related. Maybe there's a painful loss that's causing grief for you at this time of year. Christmas does that for people. They don't always see the joy. They see a lot of times the grief that a past loss brings. Those financial pressures that are squeezed into our daily life. Life is difficult. It's busy. I've called some of you and you said, man, I'm just so busy. And my answer is, well, stop being busy. And you go, well, yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you control whether you're busy or not, don't you? You sure do. You control whether you can have a quiet time, 10 minutes with God. You control that. I don't know when I'd work that in. Find the time. Trust me, the New Orleans Saints would like to have 10 more minutes. They're no longer undefeated. The Dallas Cowboys played like they should have been playing all year. DeMarcus DeMarcus Ware almost broke his neck last week, and last night was a wild man rushing Drew Brees. They made New Orleans look bad, much like Jinx looked bad a few weeks ago. Oh, sorry, gone from preaching to meddling. Okay. Hey, truth is truth. Truth is truth. But you know what, folks? No matter where we find ourselves, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the struggle or pressure, God is at work. David Livingstone. Great missionary, explorer. Uh, went to Africa in 1840 until he died in 1873. Pastors Robert Lewis and Wade 
Cordero tell of an incident from Livingstone's life that illustrates the truth that God is always at work. Livingstone was eager to travel into the uncharted lands of Central Africa to preach the gospel. And this famous missionary arrived at the edge of a large territory that was ruled by a tribal tribal chieftain. And according to tradition, the chief would come out to meet him. And Livingstone could only go forward after an exchange was made. And so the chief would choose any item from Livingstone's personal property that caught his fancy and keep him, keep it for himself while giving the missionary something of his own in return. So Livingstone had few possessions, but he laid them out on the ground, his clothes, his books, his watch, even the goat that provided him milk because he had a stomach issue and this goat milk helped him. Well, to his dismay, the chief took the goat. And in return, the chief gave him a carved stick shaped like a walking stick. Livingstone was very disappointed. He began to gripe to God about what he viewed as a stupid walking stick. What could it do for him compared to the goat that kept him well? And one of the local men explained to Livingstone, that's not a walking stick, it's the king's very own scepter. And it will... It will help you find entrance to every village in our country. The king has honored you greatly. And that man was right. God opened Central Africa to David Livingstone. And as successive evangelists followed him, wave after wave of conversions occurred. Maybe we could put it this way. Even if life gives or gets your goat... God is still at work. Second thing I want you to take away is that God is always in control. You've got to trust Him. Trust Him. In October of 2007 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there was a story of a man who tried to pass a counterfeit $1 million bill. If it hadn't been a serious effort to make a fortune fast, it would have been a laughable prank Because you see, there are no million-dollar bills in the United States currency. The highest one is a hundred-dollar bill. And when you think about it, a few checkout clerks in a few stores are actually going to have have change for a million dollars. But this uh, person, on a Saturday night, filled with high hopes of solving his financial problems... This counterfeiter made quite a scene in the supermarket checkout line, fighting with the manager who took his big bucks and very quickly leaving the store in police custody. Most of us are aware that it's silly to put your hopes in a bogus million-dollar bill, but may I ask you, where is your hope? Where do you put your hope? The Bible says our hope is found in Christ alone. In Christ alone. If it's money you're striving for, money can be taken away quickly. And then what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you have to go back to eating Spam? They have a new one out there called Treat. Oh, it's a treat, all right. I like Spam. At least that has some... Sounds like you're getting something nasty. 
Mary and Joseph were making great changes in their lives, and they must have wondered several times if they were on the right path. Mary's instructions had come in a mysterious vision. Joseph's instructions had come in a dream. And as months passed since those that vision and those dreams, there was silence from God. And how many times do you think Mary wondered, has she heard properly? How many times do you think Joseph seemed doubtful, wondering what that dream meant and his decision to stay with Mary? It must have meant the world to Mary and Joseph when the shepherds arrived breathless with excitement and filled with wonder at a miraculous message. There there would be conversations at the temple with an old man and an old woman, both of them ecstatic. talked about it last week. And with this joy of seeing a child whose arrival, they said, had been told to them by God Himself. And by the time Joseph had a second dream, There was no hesitation in his willingness to believe and obey what God said. Because it is faith that will drive our trust in God. And trusting God is the challenge of our life. It's the essence of our faith. The entire Bible is woven around that principle. Moses had to trust that God was in control. Even as Pharaoh turned the people against Moses. Noah had to trust God even though he had never seen a flood. Ruth trusted as she walked toward Bethlehem with a bitter Naomi. David had to trust as he waited to become king. Jeremiah had to trust as he followed a trail of tears out of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph were asked to trust God on the backside of Bethlehem, they weren't in a unique position. Instead, they were simply two more in a very long line of God's people who had been asked to believe that God was in control even if they couldn't see the evidence of that control right then. You're in that line. God will ask you to trust Him, to believe that He is in control. But be aware of the truth of the Christmas story and that we learn from it. Not everyone can make the leap of faith that's required. The shepherds managed to make it to the birthplace, but no one else in Bethlehem did. The long-timers in Bethlehem surely knew that one of the prophets had promised that the Messiah would be born there, and more than likely they quoted that verse out of Micah about that. And yet the big moment came, and it went, slipped past Bethlehem the way that meaning of Christmas oftentimes slips past us. third thing I want you to take away today is that God loves us more than we'll ever know, and that's the gift of Christmas. Christmas is all about gifts in our culture. We spend billions with a B, billions on the gift exchanges every holiday season. Much of the joy of the holiday is in seeing the delight of a gift that has been chosen with care and received with delight. Christmas was God's ultimate gift. Jesus would later say that it was God's love for us that served as the motivation for Christmas. John 3.16, quote it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave it. He gave that Son to us. There is a gift. Now how do I make that gift a reality? By receiving it. By taking it. You can have all the gifts you want, and, we, and we've got them at our house. They're already wrapped and under the tree, Right? Probably at your house too because you want to get ahead of the crowd. Or maybe not. When I was, when our kids were growing up, we were lucky to get them there on Christmas morning. 
but they're laying there. And whenever you look at them, you wonder, what's in there? What's in there? What's in there? But I'll never receive that gift if I don't take it and open it and enjoy it. it it's not a gift. So it is with our relationship with Christ. If we'll take the gift and open it and receive it, whoo! <laughs> Great things can happen. Great things can happen. Thanksgiving Day in 2003 brought the news that President George W. Bush was sec- had secretly traveled to Iraq to have Thanksgiving dinner with the troops in Baghdad. It was a stunning visit for the 600 soldiers gathered in the mess hall and morale among the troops was sky high. The soldiers had gathered for what they thought would be a speech by Chief U.S. Administrator Paul Bremer. Bremer told the troops he had uh, he would read a Thanksgiving proclamation from the President. Then he paused and noted that it was customary for the most senior official present to read the President's proclamation. Is there anyone back there who's more senior? He asked, and the President himself then emerged from behind a curtain as cheering soldiers climbed on chairs and tables to yell their approval. The unannounced visit not only brought wild cheers from these battle-worn soldiers, but also stunned the nation and even surprised the president's parents, who had been expecting him at the Thanksgiving table at his Crawford, Texas ranch. (laughs) And by the end of the day, the soldiers were back to the business of war in a very difficult and dangerous environment. But it had made a huge difference that the president had come to them in the midst of their environment The gift of his visit was the highest honor the president could have given his troops. Christmas is the season to remember that God himself came to us. Ready to teach, encourage, and make a way for us to see our way home after our particular battle is over. The shepherds heard the song. They sang the song. And they went about their business. Praising God. Glorifying God. Country music star Travis Tritt spent many years playing out-of-the-way joints before he made it big in the music industry. And he reports that many of the bars were dangerous places when drunk fans started fights over the smallest matters. But Tritt found a unique way to keep peace in such situations. He says, Silent Night proved to be my all-time lifesaver. Just when the bar fight started getting out of hand, when bikers were reaching for their pool cues and rednecks were heading for the gun rack, I'd start playing Silent Night. It could be the middle of July. It didn't matter. Sometimes they'd even start crying, standing there watching me sweat and play Christmas carols. What song are you listening to? Are you hearing the message of God through the songs of the angels? The worship team comes to help me close. Charles Schultz found the gift of Christmas, coming to faith in Christ as a child and returning home after service in World War II with very strong Christian beliefs. For a while, even worked as a writer for a Christmas uh, a Christian magazine. But he found fame, of course, by creating the comic strip Peanuts. The most famous comic strip in history, as a matter of fact. But ironically, in 1965, television producers almost turned away 
Charles Schultz's most successful project of all. When the first screening of A Charlie Brown Christmas was seen, executive producer Lee Mendelson says that CBS Network executives hated the show. They said it was slow. And Mendelson said that along with animator Bill Melendez. They told Schultz, you can't read from the Bible on network television. Schultz's desire held up and the simple cartoon special garnered an unbelievable 50% of the nation's viewers that first year. It went on to win both an Emmy and a Peabody Awards. Pop culture ex- experts affirm that the program, now considered an icon, draws strength from its back-to-basics message. The ironic thing is that that program, which intentionally turned away from a materialistic view of Christmas, has become a huge corporate moneymaker. During its 40th broadcast, it won, a, it, it won its time slot in terms of total viewers, 15.4 million and led all adult, teen, and, Christian, and children's demographics as well. It also earned over $6 million in ad revenue as companies paid over $200,000 for each commercial airing that was shown on that, on that show. Listen to this. Schultz's widow, Jeannie, it, is not surprised that the show has earned such large profits. She said, Charles said there would always be a market for innocence. There would always be a market for innocence. Father, we ask you this morning that we'll listen to the song of Christmas. If people will only open their ears to hear that song. Most in Bethlehem missed the song. Pain and grief and tragedy and busyness got in their way. But for those who were listening, for those who responded, the gift they received was nothing short of life-changing. Every Christmas, the song plays again with God's constant invitation for us to hear, to believe, and to respond. So, Father, I pray today that everyone in the, within the sound of my voice will understand how much you love them, how much you care for them. And Father, it doesn't matter about their past because you have a glorious future ahead of them from this day forward. If, if they will but respond to you. So God, we want to give them that opportunity to respond to you. I suspect there are folks sitting in this room that are facing some financial difficulties. They're struggling. They're applying for jobs and things aren't just falling into place. So, Father, I ask that you would get their resumes into the right hands. Father, there are parents in this room whose children are really a burden to to these parents because the kids are making bad choices. God, would you comfort those families and would you touch the hearts of those young people and help them to understand that every choice has a consequence, good or bad. It depends on what they do with that choice. Father, there's somebody in this room that has strayed from you. They've started 
uh, maybe getting back into an old lifestyle that they thought they'd walked away from. Because Satan is that crafty. He'll take us where we don't want to go. So, Father, would you give that person the courage to one more time stand up to the devil and say yes to you? And, God, there may be someone else in this room that just needs a touch of prayer. The power that prayer brings, the lifting of the burdens that prayer releases. God, would they make that known so that we could pray with them? I don't know what they have, God, but you do. So we want to be open vessels to let you touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this great song of faith. If you have a decision, make it, would you, this morning?